Uh, our text today, we're starting in Acts 9, starting in verse 1. And if you've got your Bible with you, I really hope that you open up and file along. We're getting into a whole new part in the book of Acts. And it's been, it's been exciting. There's been a lot of drama so far, but I'll tell you this next part. Uh, this introduces us to one of the most historically significant people in the New Testament outside the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. Today we're going to look at the conversion of a guy named Saul of Tarsus. He was an incredible person coming into this passage today. What happens, the events of this passage today turn him into one of history's most memorable, incredible people of all outside of Jesus. He was a Jewish man. Saul of Tarsus was a Jewish man who was born a Roman citizen. That was an unusual thing. Typically, you were either a Roman or you were a Jewish person. He was both. He was a Jewish person who was a Roman citizen. That's significant. And, and he talks about this often in the New Testament because he had rights and privileges under the law as a Roman citizen that if he were just a Jewish person, he would not have. He couldn't be treated uh, as cruelly. He couldn't be treated with the indifference that the Romans treated uh, foreigners. And so his Roman citizenship really shows that God is at work early in choosing someone who goes across not just different cultures, but has citizenship in two different places. This Saul is an interesting guy. He's referred to Saul of Tarsus. Saul is a Hebrew name. It's a Hebrew name which helps us to understand that coming into this, he was a faithful Jewish man. Tarsus was a free city. When we hear Saul of Tarsus, what the folks back then learned, what they understood just by the name was he's a Hebrew man that came from a free city. There was something about him that was a little bit different than a lot of other people. Although going forward from this passage today, we learn and we understand him more as a man named Paul. It's really in reference to the same person, but as he begins this new life of his and he starts going out into a world that's very much controlled by the Roman government, Paul is his Roman name. So if he had been born and lived his whole life as a Roman citizen, he probably would have been Paul his whole life, but because he was born a Roman citizen who grew up in Jerusalem as a faithful Jew, his name was Saul. You know him most likely as the Apostle Paul. The Bible tells us that Saul trained under the great rabbi named Gamaliel. Gamaliel was an interesting guy. When, when, when Saul tells us that he, he trained, he was raised up under Gamaliel, he uses that as a point of distinction. That is a huge part of his resume. Roman citizen, faithful Jewish person, trained as a rabbi under Gamaliel. He's got a history that he's proud of. It's a statement to his standing and his education and This Saul that we are going to read about today, he's the guy that was present when Stephen became the first martyr in the Christian church. Remember, that's where they laid their cloaks. He nodded his approval. He was the one that said, yeah, you can go ahead and kill him. He was there with authority from the Jewish leaders to hunt down and to bring back to Jerusalem anybody that was a part of this new movement that they were trying to crush called the way. Get to more about that in a moment. But Saul's job, Saul's, Saul's call in life at this point was to hunt down what we now understand as Christians, what they understood as people who are a part of the way because they wanted to end this Jesus movement. 
They had put him to death on the cross. There were these things that they heard about him coming back to life. And then they see him around town and they need to put an end to it because people are still believing in him. As far as the Romans are concerned, as far as the Jews are concerned, this dead guy, Jesus, continues to be a problem. And so Saul has the charge and the authority from the Jerusalem church to hunt down and bring back in chains anybody who's a part of the way. Josephus is the guy who wrote a lot of the history of this time of the world that we understand from outside of the Bible, and he actually wrote about Paul. He talked about him quite a bit. He talked about his missionary journeys. He talked about his being a Roman and being a Jew, and and he spoke about him quite a bit. And one of the things that he did was described him as a hunched back, crooked-nosed, red-headed, frail-looking man. And I think about it, and I think, He had been beaten. Paul had been jailed. Paul had been stoned and left for dead. He had been mistreated in more ways than I can imagine. No wonder he looked frail and beaten and crooked and stooped over. But that's not Saul of Tarsus. That happens after all of this time that Paul becomes a follower of Jesus. At this point, I believe that Paul was intimidating looking. He wasn't very tall, Josephus tells that. He had red hair, which not a lot of Jewish people did. That made him stand out. My guess is the crooked nose came from one of the beatings or the stoning. I have a feeling that if we would have met Saul of Tarsus, we would have seen him as a man to be reckoned with. A guy that had confidence and was probably arrogant. And when he walked into a room, probably had quite a presence about him. Because the job that he was sent to do was important to those Jewish folks. They weren't going to let just anybody go do it. So this Saul guy is incredibly important. This passage that we read today is really the turning point in the Christian church and in the missionary movement that expanded and grew it around the world that we're still a part of today. So I want to do something a little bit different. I understand myself really more as a Bible teacher than a preacher. I probably thank my dad, the teacher, for that. But today, I want to talk less and I want to read more. So if you've got your Bibles, Acts 9, starting in verse 1, I hope that you listen as I read this passage and you hear about the transformation of Saul as he's on the road to go gather up and bring Christians in chains back to Jerusalem and he meets Jesus. I want you to listen to that and, and think about how would you have reacted to this personal encounter that he had with the risen Jesus and the living Lord? What would you have done? Had Jesus appeared to you this way? And the question I hope you ask yourself is this. How did you meet Jesus? Because we're about to hear how Saul of Tarsus did. How did you meet Jesus? And how is your life different because of him? Because what I want to put out there as a possibility is a lot of us know a lot about Jesus. A lot of us might even say that we gave our lives and we've become a Christian. However, we haven't truly been changed. Not on the inside, not in our hearts where it really matters. Maybe we've learned to walk the walk and talk the talk and hang out with church people, but we haven't really had an inner heart change, a transformation. What we're going to look at today is how that happened for Saul and what it is that that might mean for us. And so if you've got your Bibles, if you've got an Acts journal, we're on page 52. If you don't have a Bible, just listen. Imagine what it would have been like to be this man. Listen to this action, because there's action that we're going to read about here. Verse 1, But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, 
went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a great light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him away by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he's praying. And he has seen a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized and taking food, he was strengthened. God showed this incredibly powerful man that had basically unlimited authority from the temple high priest. That he needed God and that he needed other people. In this encounter that was not a chance encounter by any means, everything about what Saul thought he knew about life was challenged. And he had to make a decision about what to do about it. From this point on, as we go forward in the New Testament, Saul of Tarsus becomes better known to us as the Apostle Paul. Same guy. Saul is his Hebrew name. Paul is his Roman name. This guy who encounters the risen Lord Jesus on the road to Damascus goes on to be so changed that he writes at least 13 of the books of the New Testament. Thirteen books that are recorded in God's Word for people of all history to be able to read and learn and understand. He personally goes on more missionary journeys than the Bible recounts. We hear bits and pieces of other ones that he traveled to and, and places he encountered and churches that he started more than what we can actually put a number to. But what we do know is that he started at least 20 churches. 20 churches, the very thing that he was sent out to crush and end. He becomes the greatest church planter and builder in the New Testament. 
He was sent out by the chief priests to stop the way, and he becomes the one who God uses to grow the way. This man who didn't just breathe threats, but was a murderer. He was, he was complicit in the murder of Stephen, and it seems that his heart knew no limits in terms of ending the life of Christians in order to end their church. He was a vicious persecutor of the Christian church, murderer of Christians, and the most prominent and dedicated servant of God in the early church. <laughs> that gives me a little bit of hope for what God might do for me. Saul was a bad dude. And he met Jesus, and he became an incredible servant of God. We find out later in Acts that Paul really was given this task of destroying destroying all of the followers of the way, not just crushing the church, but literally getting rid of the people, bringing them chains to Jerusalem. And so something happened. Something happened with this encounter with Jesus that changed not just his mind, but changed his heart. He went from trying to crush the way to becoming a part of the way. What in the world could have done that? When we look at the New Testament, some of these words actually are words that Paul understood himself. Some were written by other people. Jesus says, said to be the way, the truth, and the life. That day on the road to Damascus, Saul of Tarsus had to make a decision. He encountered the risen Jesus. And he needed decided from that moment on, he needed to decide if he was going to crush the way or if he was going to become a part of it. But we understand in Acts, Jesus is the way, the truth. Excuse me, we understand in the New Testament, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. New Testament also calls Jesus the way of salvation. Acts 18 calls him the way of the Lord. Luke 1 says Jesus is the way of peace. Romans 3 17 uses the same phrase. 2 Peter 2 says Jesus is the way of truth. 2 Peter calls him the way of righteousness. (laughs) But you know what the question is? Who is he to you? Who is Jesus to you? Who is the risen Lord to you? You're here on a Sunday morning. You're listening to us. Whatever day or night of the week it is, wherever you are, you're listening because there's some part of you that wants to know more about Jesus. There's some part of you that wants to be a little bit more like you in the future, a little bit more like him in the future, and a little bit less like the old you that you've been in the past. Jesus is all of those things. But the real question is, who is Jesus to you? Is he your truth? Is who, he who you look to, to understand and decide how to live your life? Is he your salvation? What is Jesus? Who is Jesus to you? You may say, I've never had an encounter like Saul had. I'm still working on it. If you're here, you've met him. He has made himself known to you. Being in church is a response to meeting Jesus. Who is he to you? When we submit our lives to Jesus, he's the way of our salvation. He is the only hope that we have. But who is he to you? When we do that, when we say, Jesus, you are the truth, you are the way. You are the only hope that I have in this life. You are my salvation. I want to make you my Lord. 
Savior's easy. We just say yes, making him the Lord of our life. We have to give everything that, that we thought we wanted over to him to become who he called us to be. Who is he to you? But when we do that, when we meet Jesus and say, okay, I'm willing to live for you, you have a testimony. And what we're really reading about Saul of Tarsus is his testimony. See, here's the thing. You, you, if you're a believer in Jesus, if you're living your life for him, if you were a different person before you met Jesus than you are today, you have a testimony. Maybe your testimony is incomplete. See, some people, some people profess faith in Jesus. We love the idea of being forgiven of the things that we do wrong. We love the idea of having our passport to heaven stamped and we've got salvation. Or we think that we do. But we really have never made Jesus the Lord of our life. So we might profess our faith in Jesus, but we never really change. We're never really transformed because we hold on to our hearts. We say, Jesus, you know, I, I, I want to take your gift of heaven. I, I want to take your gift of, of forgiveness. I like that. That makes me feel good. But I also want to hold on to my life. So rather than being transformed as happened to our hearts, we might, we might use our minds to learn what it is to act like a Christian. But some people, we hold on to our old hurts. We never let them go. We never give up the, the hurts from our childhood. We never give them up because it's all that we know. It's how we've learned to function in the world. We function out of our hurts. Even though Jesus came to take them all away. Maybe what we do is we say, you know what? I want to hold on to my old habits. I'm going to believe in Jesus, but I'm going to keep being me. I can't tell you how many people I've said, I believe in Jesus. I believe in God. Absolutely. I believe in a heaven and a hell. And I'm going to give my life to him just before I die. I've known some. That didn't work out very well. Their clock ran out before they gave in. Knowing about Jesus is not the completion of your testimony. Knowing about Jesus is that point that Saul is at. And so for some of us, we hang on to those old hate habits. And, and you know, the one that really gets us, we hang on to our old hatreds. We, we, we hang on to our hatreds of the people that we're not ready to forgive. The church that wronged us, the boss that didn't treat us well, we hang on to the old hatreds and rather than rather than accept forgiveness and give forgiveness, we hang on rather than being changed and being transformed instead of becoming the new creation in Christ like Saul of Tarsus did. And the Bible says will happen to us if we're willing to allow God to do that. Some people can only accept forgiveness and claim the title of Christian. But folks, that's an incomplete testimony. It's a testimony, but it isn't a complete one. Because what, what do we learn about, about Saul? <laughs> we learn what a testimony is. See, this passage is a great example of what a personal testimony of Jesus in your life can be. If you've ever wondered about your testimony, this passage can help. And so it might seem a little bit confusing, but here's what Paul did from this day forward. Everywhere that he went and talked, he told the same story about himself. He told us who he was before he met Jesus. I was a Roman of Romans, a Jew of Jews. I was training under Gamaliel. I had all the authority of the church in Jerusalem. I was a big deal, is the message that Paul sends out. He was a big deal. Some of us have never gotten past the point that we need people to believe that we're a big deal. 
that who we are and what we've accomplished really identifies us when, in fact, it's Jesus in our heart that should identify us. And then the Bible tells us how he met Jesus. Saul of Tarsus happened to meet him on the road to Damascus. He completely interrupted Saul's plans. Plan was go, the plan was to go to Damascus, gather up a bunch of the people in the way, haul them and change back to Jerusalem and make them pay. But he met Jesus, and when Jesus made himself clear in that moment on the road to Damascus, Paul literally saw the light. A light came from heaven and a voice came from the light. We're told how he met Jesus, and then finally... Paul goes on through the rest of the New Testament and says, now this is who I am because I met Jesus. This is how I've been changed. This is how I'm not the same person that I was. That impressive resume that I was handed and that I grew up in and I developed, that doesn't matter anymore. All that matters to me is Jesus. And so the testimony, what it is, is so simple. Who were you before you met Jesus? How did you meet him? If you're here today, you've met Jesus in some way, shape, or form. And then who are you because of it? That's where so many of us, our testimony stalls out because we're never transformed. We never allow ourselves to be changed. We meet Jesus and we say, okay, that's awesome. Now I know all the things that I need to know. But what God really wants is for you to not just be changed, but to be transformed. When Ananias laid his hands on and prayed for him, the scales fell off his eyes and Saul now could see again. But the Holy Spirit was in him, which is what God says happens with you and I as well. So if you're a believer in Jesus, you've got all the pieces before you to have a testimony just like Paul. Who was I before I met him? How did I meet Jesus? Who am I now? How has knowing Jesus changed my life? Paul, he was a man of instant and obedient action. Paul lived in faith, whether it was the faith that he grew up as a young Jewish man or the faith that he was transformed into when he met Jesus. He was a man of immediate, obedient action. And as we continue to learn about the life and the ministry of Paul, (laughs) the question before us, and you're going to hear me ask you this a lot in the weeks ahead, how have you been changed by Jesus? How have you been transformed? Because in his grace, he introduced himself to you. It might have been through the faithful prayers of a parent or a grandparent or a friend or someone that you met at work. I don't know how he became real to you, but if you're here, if you're listening, you know who Jesus is. He's been made real to you. How have you been changed? Or maybe the question for you is, have you been changed? Have you been transformed because you've met Jesus? And then the next question is, when we look at Paul's going, Paul going forward, his testimony, how are you And how am I living for Jesus because we have been transformed by him? How are we living our life for him, no longer for us? It's easy to say, I know Jesus, but I'm going to hang on to all the stuff that I've gotten comfortable with. It's something else to say, God, I I know who you are now. I want to spend the rest of my life getting to know you better. And I realize to do that, I need to be obedient to who you called and created me to be. And we need to allow God's Holy Spirit to change and transform us into the new creation that the Bible says that we become. Not because we make the decision to do so, but because of what Jesus has done for us. 
So th- th- this isn't my, my strong arm saying this is what you have to do to be a part of the open door. Not at all. Please hear my heart on this. The thing that gets me up in the morning and that drives me, the, the thing that pushes me forward, the thing that just has me believing so completely with all of my being and what God is doing in this place is simply this. I believe in heaven and I believe in hell. They are real places because the Bible tells us. And we are going to spend all of eternity in one of those two places. So I'm not trying to strong arm you. This is my plea. This is my prayer. If you don't know who Jesus is, if he is not your personal savior, ask yourself why. What more does he have to do? The evidence is in God's word. The truth of him is all around you. He loved you so much he gave his life for you on the cross. God loved you so much he raised Jesus from the dead that your sins could be forgiven. And simply by saying, Jesus, I believe, I want to live as the person you created me to be, God. It's as simple as that. It's my plea. It's my prayer. If you've met him but you haven't allowed him to transform you, why? Struggle with that question. What does Jesus have yet to prove to you? What more does he have to do to show you who he is and how much he loves you? There's folks in these prayer corners, you know what? Maybe you don't even know how to pray. Maybe you're not even sure how to process through what you're thinking. Go and talk to them. Go let them pray for you. Let them walk you through the first steps of the Bibles we give away. There's no decision in your life, none, ever, that you're going to face that is going to have greater impact and significance than who you determine Jesus to be for yourself. So I'll ask you again, who is Jesus to you? And if you've said that you believe in him, how have you been changed because you met him? Let's pray. God, thank you for Paul. Thank you for his heart. Thank you for the willingness that he had to live a life that I can't imagine any one of us would voluntarily sign up for. Truly, this man understood what it meant to suffer for your name. And yet he considered all of that suffering a privilege. He considered all of it an opportunity because at every turn, whether he was freely walking down a street or whether he was beaten and bound and left in jail, he knew that he had the opportunity to talk about you. This encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus didn't just change Saul of Tarsus. It absolutely and completely transformed him. God, I ask that your Holy Spirit would move in us, that we too would be completely transformed by Jesus. Not just a better version of our old self, but a completely transformed new creation. Created who you created and called us to be. And living like Paul, obedient to who you created us to be. God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he did for us what he, we cannot do for ourselves. That he willingly went to the cross as a show of love and of obedience to you. God, thank you that that he was willing to die for our sins and that you and your love raised him from the grave to new life, that we too could have new life in you. God, thank you for who you are and thank you that you give each and every one of us the opportunity to meet Jesus in the same personal way as Saul did. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. As you leave here today, uh, here, here's, here's the thought that I'd love to send home with you. Who are you because of Jesus? Who are you because of Jesus? Has your life changed or are you just the same version who now says that you know him? 
See, the Bible doesn't even talk about us just changing. The Bible talks about us being transformed into a new creation. And so really what God wants for us is to come to know Jesus as our Lord and Savior in a personal way, not so that we live a different life, but that we live a transformed life. Who are you because you met Jesus? And how are you living differently?